Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. We're heading back to the classroom today for Legacy Planning 101. The goal of our podcast today is to make sure that you know all the facts when it comes to planning for your legacy. But first, in the podcast booth with me, it's Rochelle Smith, the producer of this podcast, and then Lauren Merkel. He is a certified financial planner, a certified financial fiduciary. And Lauren, you're kind of, you're the professor today. You're sort of going to be the teacher of Legacy Planning 101. Have you written out your, uh, not syllabus, oh, syllabus, yeah, your syllabus. Have you written out your syllabus? It's written out and it's ready to go. We got a lot of great content. We're going to talk about things that you may not have thought of and things that you may have thought of, but just procrastinated on. And now it's time to take action and get your legacy plan wrapped up. Legacy Planning 101 in our school days. Rochelle, what was your favorite class in school? What was your favorite subject? Um, it was choir. Yep. I, that was my band, Any anything music. So band or choir. And Okay, so like were you an alto, a soprano? Did you have solos were you in the musicals? Talk to me here. Um, well, I wanted to be a high school choir teacher when I grew up. Obviously, I'm not <laughs> because I could not deal with high schoolers all day, every day. So I went to college and fell in love with music theory more than actual teaching people how to sing. So. Oh, and now you're into creative stuff like graphic arts and web exactly. design. Yeah, that ma- oh, perfect. I, the tra- it it, it all makes sense. <laughs> Wait, but you know what I heard there, Lauren? I heard karaoke night for the Merkel <laughs> retirement planning team and a microphone in her hands. Nope. Yeah, we've done that before, but I think we need to we need to do that again and then get two microphones in her hands. Nope. <laughs> she won't sing for us. Nope. Lauren, back in your school days, what was your favorite subject? Well, yeah, back in my school days, there wasn't COVID-19, but there also wasn't internet. So there was no <laughs> option of online right. school. We were going full-time all the time, except for when there were bomb threats. We seemed to get a lot of bomb threats at our school. We had those what? too. Yeah. Our school t-shirts for 98 when I graduated were evacuate in 98, and we had a person running out of the school and a bomb because we had like five bomb threats my senior year. Yeah. I wonder if that was a thing about the same, because we're around the same age. I wonder if that was a thing in it, those years. It must have been. I, I distinctly remember. And it was not only in the high school, but it was in middle school, too. Because I, I distinctly remember sitting on the school bus outside the school as they were trying to clear the school to, to determine whether or not we were going to go to school that day. Uh, and it seemed like we got them quite a bit. So are you avoiding the favorite subject part? No, no, to no. To talk no. about my, bomb my, no, my, my <laughs> <laughs> I just say what comes to my mind. I guess so. <laughs> School was a long time ago. So. <laughs> uh, my, mine, I think, was PE. <laughs> listen, of listen. Course. Back back then, athletics was my life. So if I had an sure. opportunity to compete at anything, that's what I was doing, even during school. And you're still a fierce competitor today, Lauren. You sit down with people every day and you talk about a retirement plan. And and I get it. They've they've saved. They've got their 401k. They've got their pension. They've got their social security. The, the the income piece is is really important, but then some at some point you have to transition in those conversations to what happens when you're gone. Is it a hard thing to talk about? Is it already on the minds of pre-retirees or and retirees? Or how does how does that work into the retirement plan? A lot of the retirement planning guiding principles, we have to be proactive and explain to them what the necessity, why is talking about the legacy planning necessary? Why is talking about the tax planning necessary? Because they don't understand necessarily all the time the impact that effective tax planning can have, the impact that effective legacy can have, or maybe more importantly, the impact 
that not planning for those different components can have on their plan. I mean, the, the income plan is what everybody's familiar with because they know they've always been receiving income when they're working and when they're not working, they still need to have income. So that's the, the really clear type of guiding principle that everybody is aware of. But when you talk about tax planning, you talk about legacy planning, or you talk about you talk about long-term care planning, what all goes into that? And then with the legacy planning specifically, who wants to talk about their last day? Who wants to talk about the time that they're gone and then what's going to happen after that? It's not something that's fun to think about, but it's absolutely necessary. So for a lot of retirees, that's when it starts to become real. So it's not necessarily for the pre-retirees. Uh, I mean, they're not necessarily proactively thinking about it. They need to engage in legacy planning, and we engage in legacy planning right away with our families because you just never know when. You never know when, and it's not all that difficult to set up most legacy plans. You just have to do it. But for retirees, it's interesting. You, uh, you, you know, as part of what we do is we follow our families through the, their different phases. We follow them through the go-go years of retirement where they're really motivated, really energetic, really excited to do all these things that they never had time to do. And then we follow them into the transition to the slow-go years where they don't have as much energy, don't have as much motivation, maybe some health issues start to creep in. And then finally the go-go or the no-go years where they just, they're not doing a whole lot. They're doing what they can do and it's not costing them a whole lot except for the expenses they have to outlay for medical expenses. So we follow them through these different phases of their retirement. And it's usually right in between the go-go and the slow-go type of transition where they start to really thinking, start to think about what's next. Um, they feel really comfortable with their retirement now. They've kind of settled into a routine. They feel really comfortable with the resources that they have left to provide them with the retirement lifestyle that they want to. So now they start thinking about what else. What else can they do with these resources to have an impact? What can they do to have an impact on their family? What can they do to have an impact on their community? And that's where the they really start to get interested in their legacy plan. But it is really important to start legacy planning way before that for most people. And Lauren, unfortunately, you've seen cases where if the legacy planning isn't done, it can it can really harm someone's retirement vision. This is this is where not doing effective planning can really disrupt the rest of your retirement. Uh, I remember recently an individual came to us, her husband had passed away, and unbeknownst to her, he elect single life pension, which meant that when he passed, his pension payment went away. She didn't receive any of it. Not only did his pension payment go away, but her social security payment went away because she moved to his payment, which was slightly higher than hers. So about 70% of their guaranteed income for life just evaporated, just vanished at the death of her spouse. And she had no idea the implications of what could take place from an income standpoint and resource standpoint in the event that he passed prior to her. Now, this is something that he had set up years ago, years ago, and he probably forgot about it as well. But this is the importance of making sure you have that organized, structured plan to make sure that whoever passes first, that that surviving spouse is going to have the, the retirement lifestyle that they deserve and that they need to maintain that lifestyle and that retirement vision that they both had while they're both alive. Okay, Rochelle, when you were in school, I suppose it was, did you take notes on computer? computers laptops nope i i was in a notebook still in the notebook phase i think i'm guessing i haven't been in a college uh 
classroom in a few years, but I think they're taking uh, the notes on laptops now. But either way, however you like to take notes, the professor is in the building and about to teach us Legacy Planning 101. First up, taxes. Lauren, I know you want to make sure that people understand the difference between three types of taxes and how they impact a legacy plan. So we want to go through estate taxes, income taxes, and inheritance taxes. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to taxation and death, uh, because a lot of people hear of this thing called the death tax. What kind of death tax will my estate pay when I pass away? Uh, But there's really three distinct types of taxes. So let's go through those, and then we can identify some of the distinctions and which one of those taxes might come into play upon your death. So yes, we have the the, uh, very popular death tax, which is really called the estate tax. And that is a federal tax. And there are some states out there that do have an estate tax. So if you're in a, in a state that does levy an estate tax, this would be a part of your planning as well. Luckily here in Iowa, we do not have an estate tax. So the estate tax for those uh, of you in Iowa would be the federal estate tax. And right now you can have an estate value in excess of 11 million if you are single or in excess of 23 million if you are a married couple. So what that means is that your your estate would not be levied in a state tax or a death tax if your estate is less than 11 million single or 23 million uh, if you're married. So that for most people they don't they don't have to worry about it. Now those laws do change. In fact, not all that long ago that that exemption was a million dollars. So if your estate value is over a million dollars, then you would be levied this this estate tax. Right now it's 40%. <clears throat> so if your estate is if your estate is uh, 30 million, then a portion of your estate would be levied uh, a tax, a federal death tax of 40%. So it's significant. It's a lot. <laughs> it's significant. Uh, and that's why that, that law does change quite a bit because politicians on both sides are going back and forth. We want to charge more. We, we think it's unfair, yada, yada, yada. And eventually they come to some kind of compromise and it, and it does change quite a bit. So that's the estate tax at the federal level. Again, if you live in a state that has an estate tax, you'll want to make that a part of your plan as well. Then we have the inheritance tax. <clears throat> so again, back in the state of Iowa, There is no estate tax, but there is an inheritance tax. And there's a lot of confusion around who is levied the inheritance tax and who is not. So the easiest way to think about this is if you are a lineal ascendant, lineal descendant, then you will not have an inheritance tax. Meaning uh, you receive uh, $500,000 from your parents. That's, That's lineal. And that means you would not have an inheritance tax. If you leave $500,000 to your kids, that's lineal, you will not have an inheritance tax. However, if you leave $500,000 to your brother, that's not lineal. There is an inheritance tax that is levied in the state of Iowa. There are some states that don't have inheritance tax. So again, you want to make sure that you understand the rules in your state and make sure that the uh, state-specific rules uh, are applicable to your plan. Our neighboring state, Nebraska, has the highest inheritance tax in the country at 18%. 18%. So you receive the $500,000 from your brother, and then you could lose 18% to the state of Nebraska right off the top. What about grandkids? Are they lineal? Grandkids are lineal. Yep, so you can leave it to your grandkids, and you wouldn't have to worry about an inheritance tax. If, if your grandparents leave you money, you don't have to worry about an inheritance tax. So the most common type of tax that, people, that apply to people's inheritances are the income tax. 
And the income tax is all going to be dependent upon the type of money that you receive. If you receive uh, a vehicle, then there's not going to be an income tax. If you receive farmland, there's not going to be an income tax. If you receive an IRA, that money has never been taxed on. Now you're going to receive, now you're going to have to pay income tax once you take the money out of that IRA. And based on the, the SECURE Act, the new laws, once you receive that IRA, you have to have that IRA liquidated within the next 10 years. So when you liquidate that IRA or a piece of that IRA, you're going to pay income tax based on your income level. So if you are in the 22% tax bracket, you receive $50,000 from an IRA, then you are going to pay uh, 22% on that $50,000. So in that case, if you receive $50,000 from your parents, there's no inheritance tax. Uh, assuming that their estate is less than the $23 million if, if they were both around or $11 million if one of them was around, then there would not be an estate tax either. You would just pay the income tax. So what about good old cold hard cash that was maybe in savings or something like that? Inheritance tax, yes or no? Uh, it, it's all dependent upon who you receive it from. Okay. If you receive it from your aunt, there'll be an inheritance tax. If you receive it from your parents uh, or your kids, uh, then there would be an, there would not be an inheritance tax. But is it set up to sort of harm, for lack of a better word, those who don't have kids? Because I'm seeing like if you give the money to your brother, it gets taxed so much higher than if you give it to children. I think about the people that don't have kids, they really get hurt by taxes. Yeah, I mean, it, we can try to put our legislator hat on. That's a really difficult thing to do. But I, I think one of the philosophies or theories is if, if so let's take me, I'm I got an eight-year-old daughter. If I pass away, my eight-year-old daughter really needs that money, more so than my 43-year-old brother. Right. Right. Okay. So the, the government's mindset, I, I mean, if we want to try to think like them, their mindset <laughs> would be my brother doesn't need as much of it, so they can take some of it okay. before it gets to my brother, whereas my eight-year-old daughter needs it to do the you know maintain her lifestyle sure. and go to college and, and, and grow and develop herself. Okay. Legacy Planning 101 continues here at Merkel University. Yeah, sure, that works. And now it's time to define and talk about a will versus a trust. What do people need to know, Lauren? Yeah, so what we were talking about is what happens if you receive money or if you want to pass money on to others. Now, the will and the trust, those are legal documents that can help execute on those transfers. And there's a lot of confusion around what happens with the will and the trust. And then we're going to throw in another one. We're going to throw in titling your accounts because if you title your accounts in an appropriate manner, then you may not even need a will for a lot of your estate and you may not even need a trust for a lot of your estate as well. So those are the three categories that we're going to talk about. Let's start with the will. The will is the most common. Uh, the benefit of the will is that it is a legal way to execute on your wishes. You, in the will document, you determine here's what you want to have happen with this asset. Here's what you want to have happen with this asset. And then there's a court when you pass, uh, there's a court that makes sure that your wishes are fulfilled. So that's a very good thing. And it should give you confidence when you're executing on that will that whatever your wishes are should happen once you pass away. So the, the assets in the will, are these assets that you can't just title or do you need to have it in both locations, a will and titled correctly? The, the trust, if you have a trust and if you title your accounts the right way, it will trump the will. Meaning that the will, even if you list these items in your will, the trust and the titling of the accounts will basically negate the will. 
So the will would, would capture everything that's not included in the titling of the accounts as well as the trust. Some people need both a will and a trust then? Yeah, usually if you're going to have a trust, what you're going to have with that trust is what we call a pour-over will. And the pour-over will then will capture everything that the trust doesn't have. Because these are, these are legal documents, and you can write them to, to in, a, in a lot of different ways that can capture future assets or future events. But we, we don't know everything that's going to happen in the future, and you don't want to rewrite your trust every year. You don't want to rewrite your trust every other year. So that's what the pour-over will, will is designed for is to capture everything else that might come in the future that is not uh, captured by that trust. Now, when I think of trusts, I think of somebody that I went to school with at college who came back from a weekend or something away in a brand new Lexus sports car. And we're all like, well, that's a nice car. How'd he get his hands on that? And someone said, oh, it's trust woke up or, or opened up or whatever happens with the trust. I mean, when I think of a trust, I think of the wealthy is 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 that true? It it can be true, but it's certainly uh, not always true, and especially today, because one of the primary benefits that people incorporate a trust would be to bypass probate. So that's another area of confusion with the will. Anything that goes through the will goes through the probate process. And there are some advantages to the probate process. There are some disadvantages. The advantages are just what I laid out. The probate process is the court process to make sure that your wishes are fulfilled. Now, the disadvantages are, and, and I'm talking about the state of Iowa, every state has their own probate laws. In the state of Iowa, the minimum time frame for assets to transition through probate is six months. Because there has to be two public public notices, and there has to be time in between those public notices. But most probates don't get done for at least 12 and sometimes in excess of 18 months. So the, the efficiency of transfer is not necessarily what you're going to accomplish with assets that transition through the will, which means they transition through a probate. And that's one of the benefits of the trust. Any of the assets that transition through the trust will not go through the probate process. And then all you have to do is execute the trust. It could be a month, it could be two months, maybe three months with an appropriately structured trust and those assets can be on their way to whom and where you want those assets to go. Inside the will, is that where I make those healthcare um, directives for who can make healthcare decisions on my behalf if I'm unable to? You're, you're going to have a, spe a specific document. You're going to have a healthcare power of attorney. You're going to have a financial power of attorney, which are going to indicate who, in the, in the event you become incapacitated, the financial power of attorney dictates who you want to make financial decisions for you. The healthcare power of attorney dictates who you want to make healthcare decisions for you. So you will, you will have all of these documents done at the same time. If you're doing a will or revamping your will, then you're going to revamp or construct your healthcare power of attorney and your financial power of attorney. But then you're also going to construct a living will. And the living will is just as it sounds. While you're alive, in the event you become incapacitated, what do you want to happen to you? Under what types of circumstances do you want to no longer be alive? Uh, how do you want your care to be managed? It's all that kind of stuff that's going to go into the living will. 
Who does that default to if you don't have a living will? Your spouse or your- every state has a process in place for this. So if you pass intestate, which means you don't have a will, then the state has that process for you. If you do not have a living will, you become incapacitated. That state has that process for you. So these are things that you don't necessarily want to leave up to your state government. These are things that are very personal and it should be specific to what your wishes are. And once you construct the documents, it's it is good to review it every so often just to make sure that what is written in those documents still accurately reflects what your wishes are. So let's go back to titling because I know there's some specific action steps that people can take and you want to make sure that you cover those. Well, there are the three distinct documents that you can use. One's the will, one's the trust, and then the other one is the beneficiary document, which is how you title your accounts. So any of your investable assets, whether it be an IRA, a 401k plan, even a checking savings account or your brokerage account should have a beneficiary designation on it. Because what that does then is it's, it, it specifically identifies how much of these assets you want to go where and then it is one of the most efficient ways you can transfer these assets it'll bypass the will which means it bypasses probate if you have a specific beneficiary let's say you have your your brother joe down as a beneficiary but you also have a trust and that trust says you want a portion of your ira to do whatever then the beneficiary designation will supersede the trust So it negates the impact of the trust on that asset, negates the impact of the will on that asset. It goes direct to Joe, and then Joe can do whatever he wants with it. Now, one of the benefits of a trust, and this is based based on your uh, friend's story or your high school person's story. The Lexus, the brand new, really sweet Lexus. The the, the sweet car. (laughs) Uh, that's one of the reasons people do set up trust is because they will have, instead of having that IRA go to Joe, they will have it go to the trust and then the trust will control when Joe receives those assets. There's a lot of parents out there with a lot of money that don't want their 21 year old kid to receive $500,000 because they're afraid they're going to go out and buy a sweet Lexus, <laughs> right? With all this money that they've worked hard and saved for, they don't want them to blow it. So they can have the beneficiary designation as the trust and say that Joe can receive $10,000 to help college educate for his college education expenses. He can receive $100,000 when he's the age of 25 for whatever reason he wants to use it for, right? They can put these specific requirements around it. And then that way, Joe's not going to receive the $500,000 right away and then go out and blow it on all these amazing, (laughs) amazing assets that Joe has been dreaming of. Um, I was driving a like, oh, 92 Beretta. So I was like, yeah, I'll yeah, well, we can take your Lexus. Then that's fine. We can go in, in your car. <laughs> yeah, I was driving a 1988. Ooh. Yeah, 1988 yellow, bright yellow, oh, 10 speed. Oh. <laughs> I remember. Really in college? Well. Uh, no, not in oh. college. This is back in middle school, high school days. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. You didn't take a bike to college. No, I didn't even have a bike to college. I didn't even have a bike at college. I didn't have a car or a you bike. You didn't take a car to college? I, I bought my first car when I graduated in my senior year. Wow. So I didn't, and I... I uh, and you weren't at a big university where no, it was, was like at, you wouldn't need one. You were in Pella, right? Yeah, I was in Pella. I was at Central College, and my home was two hours away. <laughs> so I was literally at Central College. And the only way I was getting off that island is <laughs> if I took a ride with one of my friends or my, my parents came and got me. <laughs> 
So There's that's why I remember that. a bright yellow Mustang. <laughs> I was just watching your face as <laughs> I was setting that up. Was, oh, not bad, not bad. 10 speed. Well done. Yeah, well we, done. we lived out in the country. We were five miles away from our school. So my brother and my siblings and I would have to ride our bikes into school, get to baseball practice. Um, five miles? Oh, yeah. The bus would come get you. Not to go to baseball practice. Oh, right. Yeah, we're talking summertime. So we'd, we'd ride ride to baseball, ride home. I think all that bicycle riding would help your NFL career. You would think. Being in amazing shape. <laughs> well, I was starting way behind, so I needed a lot more than that. <laughs> so this does all sound kind of complicated, and when I hear words like will and trust, I definitely think attorney. So there has to be fees involved, clearly, with setting these things up. Yeah, the attorneys are not going to work for free. <laughs> And if they do, give me their name. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can pass it along. Uh, so there is a cost associated with that. Now, if you title the accounts uh, and you don't need the trust, you should probably still have a will. The will typically is going to cost $250, maybe $600, $800. The trust, uh, there's a lot of attorneys out there that might do it for $1,000. Uh, I would say average here in, in the Des Moines area is probably somewhere around $2,000, maybe $2,500. There's some, some sophisticated trust that could cost you in excess of $10,000, but most people don't need that type of legacy work. Uh, and if you do need that type of legacy work, then if you're paying $10,000, trust me, it is well worth it based on what you're trying to accomplish. So whatever you are paying from a fee standpoint, it should be commensurate with what it is you're going to save and the ease of transfer for the, these assets to wherever you want it to go. The, uh, by, when, when your assets go to probate, then there is, and again, this is in the state of Iowa, there's court costs and administrative costs that could total somewhere around 1%. And then the maximum that attorneys could charge would be 2%. So if you just think about anything that goes through the probate process in the state of Iowa, 3% fees levied on it. And if you have a million dollar estate, that's 30 grand that it, that is going outside of your estate. Whereas if you can set up a trust and it costs you $2,000, that's a big savings. Plus, then you have the extra ease of transfer. So the, these are all things that we need to talk through. These are all things that we need to work through as a part of your over, like, overall legacy plan. But I could tell you, once you get it set up, you're going to feel really good. Once you get it set up the way you want it to go, you know in the event that you pass, whether it's short-term or long-term, then your assets are going to go in the most efficient way they can to whomever you want it to go. And that provides just a lot of comfort on the surface for, for most of the families that we work with. We've been talking about these concepts, or I've been talking about these concepts with you for the last four years or so, and a lot of them are fuzzy. But I do remember a time when something got really crystal clear for me, and it was when we were doing an example. And I remember in the example, the child was inheriting like $500,000. And, and I was like thinking to inherit $500,000, what do you care about taxes? You, this is money you never thought you were going to get. And in the, the world that I live in, that's not even something that I would even con consider receiving when, when my parents passed. So I said to you, what does it matter? It's $500,000. And you said in, in a crystal clear way that, that still sticks with me, that it's not so much for the person receiving the money. It's the person who worked so hard to save the money, who worked so hard to plan that they w don't want to see it eroded by taxes. Yeah, 21-year-old Joe who receives 500000 whether he receives 500000 or 400000 because he lost 100000 off the top to taxes, he's not going to care that much. But Joe's parents 
Bob and Sue, they have worked a lifetime to collect these assets and they don't want any more than what has to go to these other bodies. They want to make the biggest impact they can to their community and to their family. And that's why this type of planning is so important to the families that we work with because this is their this is their life savings and they put a lot of a lot of sweat equity into collecting these savings and they want to make sure that they make the best of it. We know that your legacy ambitions are unique to you, your assets, your charities, your children, what you want to do with your legacy plan is specific to your retirement vision. So to talk about your retirement vision, go to MerkelPlan.com, M-E-R-K-L-E Plan.com. No matter where you live, you can be in Iowa, you can be in Alaska, you can be in California. That's the great thing about these phone calls. You can give us a call and talk about your plan no matter where you live you'll get right on the calendar of the retirement planners here at Merkle Retirement Planning to schedule your 15-minute retirement checkup call. And of course, legacy planning is just one of the aspects of a comprehensive retirement plan. We'll continue to tackle more about your retirement vision and your retirement plan on this podcast. It's Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC.